Well, good to see all of you. Happy Easter again. We're honored to be here together this morning. I want to begin by asking you to repeat after me. It's one word. It's the word believe. Will you say that with me? Believe. How do we define belief? Did you use the word believe in your speech this week? I believe this might happen. Can you believe it? Those are some expressions where we use the word believe. Unless you teach philosophy at a college, you probably didn't talk a whole lot about belief this week. But I wanted to think of two ways that the word belief or believe enters into like normal daily speech. There's the exclamation of belief, and there's the incredulity of belief. So the exclamation of belief is, can you believe it? Like you have to say it with a smile on your face, so say it with me. Can you believe it? This is an example of what I'm talking about. Can you believe it? What happened last September for all of you Mariners fans in the room? A 21-year playoff drought was broken, snapped in an instant. This is Cal Rowley, the catcher of the Mariners. Anyone know Cal Rowley's nickname, by the way? The Big Dumper? I don't know how he got that name. I'd rather not know. But the Big Dumper came up big last September. My wife and I were at this game. We watched him stand up there in the ninth inning, tie ball game, one-to-one. And normally for Mariners fans in September, a tie ball game that time of year, it's not that big a deal because for 21 years, you've had to say, eh, it doesn't really matter. This year it mattered because if the Mariners won this game, they would go to the playoffs. They would break the longest drought in professional sports in North America of not going to the playoffs. And guess who they called upon to make it happen? The Big Dumper. The Big Dumper hit it hard. He hit it so hard, they had to put a bucket of bubble gum on his head to protect him. That's what that is on his head. That's how they celebrate. I don't know why, but that's what they did. He hit a huge home run. The Mariners won the game 2-1. to one. The stadium went crazy. And if you listen to the radio, if you watched it on television, you heard the announcer saying that phrase. Remember what I just asked you to say. Can you believe it? They said it with a smile and with a joy. The people of T-Mobile Park spilled out into the streets of Soto after that game, saying to one another, can you believe it? That's the exclamation of belief. Now, there's an incredulity to belief as well. Incredulousness, meaning like, I don't know if I believe that or not. I saw this headline in February, and my response to it was, can you believe that? Vanderbilt University apologizes after using chat GPT to console students. Okay, little context. Chat GPT, which I have not used, I'm not a very techie person, is an artificial intelligence program that from my understanding, you tell it to do something like write an email, and it can do that for you. It can kind of make it sound moderately human. So a group of people at Vanderbilt University recognizing that something difficult had happened among their student body. I won't go into detail about it because there's kids in the room. But they wanted to console their students in the midst of kind of a grievous situation. Somebody got the idea not to write the email from the heart to console these students, but decided to use a chatbot to write a conciliatory email. You got to be kidding me, right? I can't believe this. The opening line of it sounds benign enough. Dear Vanderbilt family, one of the key ways to promote a culture of care on our campus is through building strong relationships with one another. You're reading this as a student and you're going, okay, what, what are we trying to do here, right? And the email goes on. You can find the text of it online. It's very benign. But here's where they made their mistake. At the very end, in very small font, on the email, look what they admitted. 
paraphrase from OpenAI's chat GPT AI language model. We didn't write this ourselves. We've got a computer to do it. Isn't it great? Not so great. The students were furious. Lahith Kaid, a senior whose sister attends Michigan State, where this event happened that they were trying to console students about, she called the use of ChatGPT disgusting. There is a sick and twisted irony to making a computer write your message about community and togetherness because you can't be bothered to do it yourself. She told this to the student paper, which actually broke the news about ChatGPT being used to send this email. Thank God for college newspapers, right? And then, of course, the email, which was written by a computer, ended with the words, warmly. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Who does that? Can you believe it? Belief. For some, there is an exclamation around the resurrection. Can you believe it? Jesus is back from the dead. This is what the disciples experienced. For most people in our modern world, there's an incredulity to belief. Can you believe that? Christians believe that this teacher died and he came back. Can you believe that? What? Come on. Where's the scientific effort, evidence for that? Where's the proof? Don't you have to just suspend all belief in anything rational to get to that conclusion? The good news of Easter is that you can believe. You can. And it doesn't require you to take your brain off. It doesn't require you to sort of believe in this fantasy. It is more than exclamation, and it is more than incredulity. It is better than a walk-off home run, and it is more honest than any chatbot. That is the good news of Easter, that Jesus Christ died, and he came back, and he set people free, as only he could. We're going to look very briefly at today's text through these three headings. We're going to talk a little bit more about belief how you need a trustworthy friend to help you with your belief, and just asking this question, what is stopping you from believing? Or if you're already a follower of Jesus, what's stopping you from trusting him even more? So let's talk about belief. What, what's happening in the passage that Stephanie just read for us? This man, Jesus, I love this painting of him with the child, because I can just picture Jesus tenderly embracing a child and having this wonderful, sweet moment with a kid. This is the leader of this movement in the ancient Near East that turned everything upside down. He was teaching people about the kingdom of God. He was proclaiming something about grace and truth, and he claimed to be grace and truth in human form. He launched a movement with a bunch of people who didn't know anything about what they were doing. There were no experts in any room that Jesus stood in except the experts who were opposed to him. And he had power. He had incredible power. He could heal people. He could raise the dead. And in the same moment... He could be near to a little child and show tenderness and compassion. No one had ever met anyone like Jesus. And to this day, there's really never, ever been anyone quite like him. People in power saw him as a threat, so they went after him. And in the night of his darkest night of the soul, he was in a garden by himself. His disciples were nearby, but he rode this out by himself. And this is where we touch on Good Friday and the pain of the cross. This Jesus who came to start a movement to set people free instead found himself abandoned and anguished. He was arrested, trumped up charges, a kangaroo court. He was thrown into jail. And then in a sign of Roman power over him and over the people that he came from, 
He was crucified. He was put up on the cross. The cross being the Roman government's most shameful, despicable use of torture and and violence. This is a view over the city of Jerusalem from the hillsides beyond. And this is obviously a modern picture. It's a sprawling, big city now. But this may have been similar to the view that Jesus had on that Good Friday. As he took on sin and shame and guilt and pain and all these things that we go, oh, can you believe that? Yeah, I can. I can. And he looked out and he saw the city that he loved, that he suffered for, the people that he longed to reach. And even in his agony, he cried out for them. He cried out for you and for me. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then his disciples went into this pattern, this cycle that I think we're all familiar with, where they go from despair to dejection. They don't really know what to do. If you've been through grief, if you lost someone you loved, you know how this feels. The word I would use for it, or phrase I would use for it, is you're hollowed out. It's like something inside of you has kind of been scooped out, right? Like when we, when we carve pumpkins at Halloween and we get rid of all the stuff inside, you are scooped out, hollowed out. The disciples are hollowed out by the death of Jesus because they believed in him. Have you ever believed in something that later you thought, oh, that was foolish? I don't know why I threw so much time and energy into that. I believed that this person would be a great leader for my company, and they bailed. I believed in my spouse. I believed in my neighbors. I won't do that again. Belief can hurt us. But anything that we risk ourselves with for love, it's probably going to hurt. Because it's worth it. Because it shows that we're really there, we're really present to it. If you keep yourself at arm's length from something, you're not really loving it. You're not really giving yourself fully to that relationship, to that calling. The disciples felt the despair. And this is where we kind of bridge back to belief because in our modern world, most people think of belief as sort of having a sign hanging up in your room to remind you of certain principles or you know, a, a series of, of phrases or axioms. A lot of people believe in Jesus' philosophy. But the disciples, it cut deeper than that. They loved him. They believed in him. Now he was gone. I think this is encouraging for modern people because we don't really take account of the fact that any belief that you hold yourself to, it, there's gonna go, you're going to go through a season where it hurts, where there's pain, where there's even a breakdown around your belief. As you give yourself to something good and something worthy of your time and attention, it's probably going to hurt you at some point. Case in point, when I was a junior in high school, I wasn't yet fully a follower of Jesus. I'd kind of experienced Jesus through the church I grew up in. My parents had encouraged the faith in me, but I decided to really give myself to two causes that are super important to juniors in high school. I wanted to make good grades, and I wanted to get my letter jacket. Those were like my two goals, and some people are going like, dude, you had goals in high school? Like what? Come on. There are other people like me. I think most of them live on the east side, so there you go. Grades and a letter jacket. I wanted to order my life around those goals. So I studied, so I worked hard in my classes, so I showed up for things. I was a mediocre cross-country runner and an even worse soccer player, but the cross-country coach was the same coach as a soccer coach, and he knew I would work hard. So he gave me a letter for cross-country, and then I just happened to get a letter for soccer. It worked out well. 
So I had my goals. By the end of my junior year of high school, I had the two things that I wanted so dearly. And many of you have worked hard for things that you've wanted, either as a teenager or as an adult. You worked hard to get through med school. You worked hard to get that PhD. You worked hard to get to your position in your company. And what is our belief underlying that hard work is that we can control our future through our hard work and that our future will be a good future because we have pursued good things. We believe that. But I got to the end of my junior year in high school, and you know how I felt? Hollowed out. Hollowed out. I, I did the thing. I did the good things. Shouldn't good produce good? Isn't this one of the basic premises of those who believe in karma? If you do good, good will come back to you, right? The problem with karma is real life. We, I, find ourselves in these moments where we go, wait, I did all the things right. Shouldn't I be able to ensure for myself a good and noble future? You know what broke most people of this belief system? COVID. COVID broke our belief in our ability to control the future. Because all of a sudden, this pernicious disease arrived, and we went, I can't control anything. Which was true all along. We just told ourselves, I can do this. Good will follow good. Not when there's a global pandemic taking people's lives and shutting down schools and killing businesses. COVID broke us of this belief. And I felt broken in my sense of, I believed I was doing good things, so why do I, steal, why do I feel hollowed out? What have you believed that has left you still feeling hollowed out after you achieved it? You got the new house, you got the new car, you got the new job, your kids got to go to a great school, but scratch a little bit, still hard. There, may, there probably still is quite a bit of emptiness in that. What did the disciples do? This is where we talk about a trustworthy friend. The disciples come to the tomb with open eyes and they see something remarkable. They get there, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. This is John. This is the younger man. And he saw and he what, church? He believed. What did he see that he believed? He saw an empty tomb. He saw some grave clothes load up, loaded up, turned into a pile. That word belief in the New Testament is pistuo. This is where we get the word epistemology. The idea of something being solid in terms of its architecture. The idea being fully formed. Pistuo simply means to believe, to give credit to, to entrust. I love this last phrase, to commit to the charge or power of. My junior year of high school was committed to the charge and power of my own abilities. And it left me feeling empty. Every one of us has something that we've committed our belief to and it left us hollowed out. Interesting kind of lexical note. In the New Testament, this word pistuo happens 241 times. The New Testament ain't that long. That's a lot of uses of the word belief. The Christian faith is not simply doing good things and God will get you into heaven. No, 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 no. It is belief. It is tested. It is a challenge. If someone tells you they effortlessly believe Scratch the surface a little bit. It can be hard. This is what belief looks like. 
This is a painting called The Disciples Peter and John Running by a French painter, Eugène Bernard. It's from 1898. It's one of my favorite paintings. This is straight from the scripture that Stephanie read for us. Peter, the older man here in the center in the dark cloak, he's been following Jesus a long, long time. He was in that original group, the fishermen. Come, I will make you fishers of men. Peter said yes. The man on the left is John, a younger disciple, looking up to these men, having them show him the way of faith. He's kind of drafting off their belief in some ways, which all of us, we need mentors, we need people above us to help us. But look at their body language. They're tilted, they're in motion, they're running, as the title of the painting suggests. Look at their hands. When's the last time you were wringing your hands over something or someone? I know it's hard to see from a distance, but their facial expressions, their brows are are furrowed, their eyes are set toward something. It's not the sunrise, that's behind them. It's It's not where they come from, it's where they're going, it's this tomb where they've heard this faithful woman, Mary Magdalene, saying, something is different. Something's different. You've got to go see it. This is what belief looks like. This is not certitude. This is not arrogance. This is earnestly seeking the truth in and through Jesus Christ. And by the way, doing it in community. They're going together. They're going to figure this out. And one of my favorite things about the church is how people in the church help each other and witness to each other and help each other figure it out. Because every one of us need that. Every one of us needs a trustworthy friend. Back to my story in high school. I was hollowed out by my good pursuits. They didn't fill me up. And I needed a trustworthy friend to help me navigate that. So I was fortunate to have a mentor, someone investing in my life, an older man, a guy named Trey. We're still friends to this day. I just talked to him the other week. And he led my Bible study all through high school. He volunteered his time to hang out with a bunch of squirrely teenagers. God bless people who make that a priority. And Trey was the person that I felt safe coming to and saying, look, you know I've been doing this this year. I've been working hard on my grades. I've been working hard on this letter jacket thing. I got it all. What's going on? I don't feel that good. I don't feel like a great joy. I live in Houston. Wearing a letter jacket's dumb because it's hot. What's happening? And Trey was the one who said to me, you're still missing a piece. You're still missing a piece. I said, okay, what? Do I need to go do something else? Do I need to go do round two of grades? I can't get another letter jacket. And he said, no, it's, it's a person. You need Jesus. You need a relationship with him. You need to talk to him and to trust him and to ask him because he's really real and he's really alive. What do I do? And he walked me through that and I'm so grateful that he did because my good pursuits were keeping me from faith in Jesus Christ. And so here's the question. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? Is it your pursuit of good things? How's that working out for you? Do you feel hollowed out in the midst of that? I did. Maybe you're at this stage in your life where you're going, look, man, like, I appreciate all this, but like, I've got to dive into my career right now. I need 70, 80 hours a week to make partner. Like, this is a thing. And I go, how's that working out for you? 
If your career is stopping you from sincere faith in something beyond yourself, you need to think real hard about your career. You know, my kids, they're just like, they're keeping me really busy right now. We have a lot going on, all these different things. I get it. I, I have three kids. I understand. But did you know it's a disservice to your children to not take your own faith seriously? You're not setting them up for success. I don't say that in an accusatory way. I've, I've been there. They need you to believe. Not perfectly. <laughs> not knowing everything. That line from John chapter 20, one of my favorite things about it is, it just says, the disciples saw and believed. It didn't say, and he believed in a Trinitarian God, and he believed in the eschatology, and he believed in this, and believed in He just believed. There's an adequacy to belief. If you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you are actually not saying that you understand everything. You don't have to understand everything to take a step of faith. You don't have to take a step of faith and say, oh, now I get everything. No, 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 no. There's a humility and an earnestness to saying, I got a lot more to learn. When my friend Trey invited me to follow Jesus Christ, he wasn't saying, now you need to get your theology perfect, now you need to get everything right. No. It's belief. I believe. Pistuo. I'm putting my faith in a power greater than myself. What's stopping you? What was stopping me when I came to believe was good things. And I had plenty of stuff that I still needed to learn. But I was tired of being hollowed out. Are you tired of it? If you are, what do you want to do about it? Maybe you feel hollowed out for perfectly good reasons. Maybe the church really hurt you, and if so, I'm sorry. Maybe a leader in the church really let you down. Maybe it's none of that. Maybe you had a tyrannical boss who destroyed your confidence. Maybe uh, you didn't do really well in school. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe I mean, there are all kinds of reasons for us to feel hollowed out, sincerely, genuinely hollowed out. The question you have to consider this morning is... What's stopping you from saying to Jesus, help me? Jesus made this promise to his disciples in Mark's gospel. All things can be done for the one who believes, the one who pistuos, who trusts in me. Look at the beginning of that sentence. Does he say some things, a handful of things, a basket of things? No. All things. The struggle that you may have with an addiction the brokenness that you're experiencing in your relationship with your children or your grandchildren. All things can be done. All things can be made right. All things can be restored and repaired and made new. Yeah. In and through Jesus Christ, that power is available to ordinary people like you and me. No theology degree required. No Bible memorization required. Although those are good things. It's available. What's stopping you from this? From a way of life where something comes up and you go, oh man, I wasn't expecting that. Jesus, walk with me through this. Walk with me through this. I want to offer one next step, just one. And the next step is simple. Just hear these words. Because this is the gospel. This is the belief that changes you and changes the world. This isn't just about you being hollowed out. It's about looking for others who are experiencing something very similar. 
One of the greatest tricks that the enemy tries to throw at us is he tries to convince us that we're the only person in the world who's struggling with whatever we're struggling with. Oh, please. Others share your struggle. Others share your pain. And the gospel gives us a platform, an ability to address it structurally, foundationally, not just at a surface level, but getting into the bones of why we struggle the way that we struggle, whether it's with belief or parenting or marriage or losing a job or any of these things. The gospel simply is this, guys. Humanity, our world, it's broken. It's been broken since the beginning of time, since just after creation and people said no to God and following God's ways, they said, we want to do it ourselves. Sin entered the world and sin's real. Evil's real. The gospel gives us clear eyes to say, that's wrong. I don't want to do that. And Jesus came to rescue ordinary people who call out to help for him. That's it. It's not like getting a prescription from your doctor. It's just ask. Ask. People will not be made whole on our own. We will be hollowed out and chasing after silly things like letter jackets unless Jesus intervenes. All he asks of us is a sincere yes. Yeah, I need your help. That's all I did. After my friend Trey said to me, you need Jesus. It wasn't like I went into some elevated astral plane and got the infinity gauntlet or something. No, it was, I just need help. I just need help. And Jesus' answer to anyone who asks him for help is yes. Yes. I would add, it's a yes with a smile on his face. Because he loves to care for his children. And he is sincere in his love for you and for me. The gospel is, I want to be filled up and not hollowed out. I'm tired of living this way. Jesus, come and do this in and through me. Help me lean into a community. The older I get, the more I see community is critical to faith, to belief. You can't do it by yourself. So let us be the kind of people who earnestly examine the gospel, who earnestly look into it. And if you've come here this morning and you're looking for something to believe in, might I suggest an option better than chat GPT? And that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you want to join me in prayer, we're going to pray to Jesus and we're going to ask him and the band's going to come back up and continue to lead us in our worship. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that the resurrection's real. And it really changed the world. There is no accounting, there's no way to rationally make sense of how your church, even with all of its imperfections, how your church and its leaders have changed the world. And so, God, if we are coming in here this morning and saying, I don't know about this, like, this sounds complicated and difficult, would you just create the simplest pathway into each of our hearts so that we might hear and receive and believe? If there's anybody here who has not had a chance to believe in you, Lord, may they take that step. May they examine those cornerstones of the gospel that we just talked about and take a moment and just say, ugh, Do I believe any of that? Holy Spirit, come fill up and animate each of us, whether we are a person of faith, whether we're someone who's more skeptical, which is great and welcomed. May we find a pathway in and through all of our doubts, all the things holding us back to sincere belief in you because we want to be changed. We want to be through with being hollowed out and moving toward a life of fullness and joy. May this be so. 
We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.